the Red Sox, bloggingtheredsox.com podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Campbell, and today I'm happy to be joined by a special guest, Red Sox area scout Josh LaBandera, who uh, covers Northern California for the team. Josh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, how's your summer been going? Summer, um, thanks for having me, first off. Um, summer's been great. Um, it's been back. It's been nice to get back at it after last year, um, you know, not being able to get out and, and scout these kids normally. So, it's been a it's been a good summer thus far. Josh, main reason I want to talk to you today was about um, some recent Red Sox draft picks you have been involved in, such as Nick York. But um, I felt like I'd be remiss if I didn't first ask about your uh, your own professional career. So just uh, to lead off, um, how does it feel to be the last player to make your major league debut for the Montreal Expos? Wow. Uh, yeah. Um... Most people don't know that, uh, that I was the last guy ever to be at Expo. So, um, you know, it, it was a really cool, uh, started out, um, always wanted to play at Fresno state, um, had to do the junior college route in the meantime, um, eventually landed at Fresno state, um, was selected in the sixth round, um, by the Montreal Expos and, um, you know, just was very fortunate. Um, I got to the big leagues really fast, uh, just wasn't able, was unable to stick, uh, as, as you can find, but like most players, um, you know, but, uh, I, have been fortunate enough to, to still be involved in the game, um, from the scouting side. Uh, the playing career wasn't ideally how you drew it up. Uh, I reached my goal of getting to the big leagues, but, uh, I would have definitely liked to have stayed for a lot longer. Um, but now I get to scout, man, and go try to find guys that, uh, guys that fit that fit, fit the build, uh, to play in the TV league. So uh, how do you, your own experience to like uh, uh, scout, I guess, just to put it simply? Um, my own experience is uh, just more so maybe from um, uh, I use more of uh, like from what I've seen, just just players that I like my Rolodex of players, uh, just guys that I came up with the minor leagues. Um, it, it's always nice. It's a quick it's easy to have like a quick uh, thought of a guy that, that, you know, this guy resembles me of so and so. Uh, guy might have played against him and and then you know getting down into like you know the makeup side of it I, I think a lot of a lot of uh, having a playing background uh, helps me um, decide like whether or not this kid's ready particularly from the high school standpoint um, all the college kids are ready but um, from a high school standpoint you know you really got to find that right guy he's got to have the right makeup um, the right motor uh, the right work ethic the right probably the best word you could say he's got to be mature you know, to be a high school guy to go out and, and play right away. Um, you know, maturity is probably one of the biggest, uh, you know, from a personal standpoint, like it's a, not personal, but, but it, it's a maturity thing for me. Um, big time maturity. And when you're with the Expos, our nationals organizations, did you have the opportunity to play with guys like Brandon Phillips, Ian Desmond or Ryan Zimmerman? And if so, what was that like? Yeah, uh, actually, Brandon Phillips, um, Brandon Phillips has traded my first spring training. That's partly why I was able to move through the system uh, rather quickly. Him and Wilson Valdez got traded my first spring training. Um, Valdez went to the Marlins, I believe, and, and Brandon ended up going to the Indians where he had a long, long career. Um, but uh, I never got to be on the same field with those two guys. Um, but Ian Desmond was, was definitely, uh, you know, he, I got hurt 
in 04. He was 04 draft. He replaced me at big league camp in 05. And um, when he did that, he made a really big, you know, really good impression on uh, Frank Robinson at the time. And, you know, he was destined to play in the big leagues. You could just tell uh, the way his body worked, the athleticism, the projection left. I mean, the same with most high school kids that, you know, you, you just ask yourself, is this kid going to hit? Um, and then it boils down to the makeup. Is this kid going to work hard enough to, to, to reach his tools? And he had all of those attributes. I mean, and the same with Zim. Uh, Zim came straight to us in Harrisburg, uh, right out of Virginia, was the fourth pick overall. And you could tell within the first five, six swings that this dude was, he was special. Um, just the way it worked, his mentality. And it goes back to the maturity, man. It was like he was a salty veteran and he just stepped out of college. So um, definitely those three guys were, were, were uh, are guys that, that I recall quite a bit just in how they did things and, and their work ethics and, and the tools they possessed. And then uh, fast forward a little bit to 2008 when you were with the uh, Rays and Royals organizations. It looked like you might have played with some uh, guys like stars in the making, for instance, like uh, Billy Butler, Evan Longoria, Ben Zobrist, David Price. Uh, so, again, what was that experience like? <clears throat> Durham was uh, – that team That team was interesting. That, that team had a lot of younger prospects. Um, and, and the Rays had prospects. You know, they were losing prospects for years just picking at the top of the draft and where they did. Um, you know, I, unfortunately, I didn't get to uh, play with David or Evan. Um, but Benny, Benny Zobrist was uh, – Ben Zobrist was a professional. Um, that's one thing I can say about him. He, he was just a professional from the time he walked in the clubhouse. Uh, how he worked in the cage, how he worked his batting practice rounds and, and the defensive work he put in, uh, you know, it, it's not a big surprise that he, he spent as long as he has in the big leagues. Um, but that farm system alone, I mean, Durham's a historic, historical place uh, to play as a minor leaguer, um, you know, given the old Durham Bulls and Kevin Costner. And, um, but definitely during that, that time span, um, Tampa had quite a few younger cats coming up. And it was fun to be around those guys. Uh, I don't know if you played with these guys either, but would you happen to have any good Johnny Gomes or John Jaso stories you could share? Uh, I played with Jaso. Um, Johnny Gomes Johnny Gomes and I played against each other in the fall league in 2004. Uh, I never got to play with Johnny, um, only played against him. And still to this day, my, my left hand aches. Uh, he hit probably the hardest ball I, I think I ever put a glove on. Um, in the fall league, some reason I was playing, you know, double play depth. I was playing third base and, and he was playing for team USA. And uh, I mean, he turned on a ball and, and hit it about as hard as he, he could have hit a ball. And luckily it wasn't at my face. Otherwise I might have some sort of uh, uh, dysfunctional look on my face, but uh, he, uh, that's still the hardest ball I ever saw hit. Um, just tough, gritty grinder, like tough dude. Like just, just, he was tough as nails, man. When you watched him play and, uh, he had pretty significant power during our time span. And uh, when you were playing with these guys, was there a point where you realized that uh, like scouting is something you'd want to do? Like at what point were you like, okay, I can make this transition from playing to scouting? Um, well, man, the transition wasn't as smooth or easy as I, I had originally anticipated. I thought, you know, playing for, for, for the time that I played, it would be a little bit easier to get into the scouting side. Um, but it actually took me five years to, to get back, get my feet back in, in inside of professional baseball. Um, I feel like scouting is something I did as a player. Um, you don't realize it at the time that you're doing it, but you know, you're constantly, you know, if you're a guy that's up on the top rail, you're constantly watching the game. You're watching guys, how they have their at bats. You're watching the, the, the way they play defense, the way they run the bases, uh, their intensity, the look on their face, their demeanor. I mean, you're scouting, 
you know, all players that you start scouting at, at, you know, when you start playing, I mean, especially if you're in tune and, and you, you know, you're trying to figure out information about the other team, pr primarily the pitcher. I mean, you're scouting the pitcher the whole time from a hitting perspective, you know, you're in the dugout, you're looking at, you know, what he's starting hitters off with, what's he going to with two strikes, um, what side of the plate he's primarily working, um, you know, just tendencies, all those things, you know, who has good sliders and, and scouting now you call them plus or, 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 you know, a wipeout type pitch. And then, you know, who had just kind of fringy type borderline secondary stuff that, you know, you could handle. So I think scouting started a long time ago. Um, for me, I've just been really lucky that, uh, I've been very lucky and fortunate to, uh, to have gotten my feet back into it and, and being able, being able to call it a job, man. I mean, it's, it doesn't feel like work, but it is at time, you know, it is. Um, but being at the yard every day is, is not something I consider work. This is your sixth season with the Red Sox as a scout? Uh, sixth or seventh. Um, I think this will be my seventh draft. Uh, you know, came in my first year, it was like Nicky Madrigal and, and we, we, had, we had some fun ones my first couple of years scouting, like had some really good areas. Um, some really good players have come out of my area over, over the time that I've been here. So uh, it's definitely, yeah, just keep one another year, you know, keep wanting to do this. Uh, does it help that uh, Paul Taboni, manager scouting director of the Red Sox, is a California native like yourself? I'm sure it, uh, it does. Um, he, him going to Cal, and uh, we definitely had a little connection there. Um, given, uh, you know, he was friends with a couple people from Fresno here where I live, and uh, we kind of had a mutual friend, friends through that. But originally, I mean, T-Bone originally came on. He was, uh, I want to say, intern for us, and then he took over the Texas position, and then, you know, he moved into the, the assistant director role, and now he's our director, and, um, you know, He's been, it's been good having definitely like some West Coast connection out here and, and he understands and relates to the West Coast and the players and stuff. So most definitely it's, it's been, uh, it's been great. And I don't know how much uh, like a relationship you have with the major league staff, but uh, is Tom Goodwin someone you'd be able to connect with given the Fresno State uh, connection? Yeah, what's a bulldog? Always a bulldog, man. Bulldog born, bulldog bred. Uh, I can reach, you know, Tommy and I are from different eras, but uh, like I said, it's <clears throat> baseball is one of those. Baseball is a fraternity. It, it really is. It's it's uh, it's a small, tight knit fraternity that goes coast to coast, country to country. Um, and once you're in it, you're in it. Um, and and Tommy's definitely someone that I've reached out to um, since being um, since joining the Red Sox and, and, and working for them. So it's nice to have that Fresno state bulldog connection. There's quite a few of us running around, which is pretty cool. And on that same note, um, have like, you noticed any organizational philosophy shifts, like since you've joined the Red Sox, like, uh, like from Ben Charrington, Dave Dombrowski to like now Heim Bloom, just like those uh, differences in uh, the baseball operations department. Have you noticed anything from your end? Um, no, I mean, it, I think it's pretty standard. Um, just, every organization it, it, it's been pretty steady I haven't seen anything drastic I mean um, from the scouting side like uh, I mean it's pretty similar to when I started we haven't uh, there hasn't been a whole lot of uh, you know we haven't changed directions uh, there are some you know there are a few adjustments here and there but but nothing that significant that would that, that, that wouldn't um, ring a bell or, or make me think that we're doing anything different than what we have um, it's still we our process on the on the scouting side. I you know might things might have changed a little bit from the de uh, development standpoint since I'm in, and we've had some transition there. Um, but from the scouting side, I, I think that's one thing you can say about us is uh, 
I mean, we have a process and we've stuck with it and we've had success with it. And, and that's something I think that, you know, when you have success with something, you don't go messing around with it too much. So um, we're kind of at that point right now where, yeah, there will be some tweaks here and there, but nothing too crazy since I've started. And just in terms of amateur scouting, like how much of it is relying on like what you see with the naked eye and like what other information is out there? Like, I don't know if you use track man or what, but uh, how much do you weigh that difference? Um, I honestly, that data just confirms what your eyeballs tell you. It really does. Um, you know, you can close your eyes when guys are taking batting practice and, and you can tell by the sound, you don't have to look at exit velocity number to know a ball got hit hard. Um, and, and in all honesty, it doesn't matter if the ball gets out of the park at 115 miles an hour and 106 miles an hour, the ball got out of the ballpark at the end of the day, period. Uh, you know, exit velocity doesn't, to, to me, I don't know, some of that, that data stuff, uh, it helps confirm maybe what your eyeballs are already seeing, man. I mean, I'm not going to live and die by scouting a hitter and, and basing my judgment on if he can hit, whether or not he has exit velocity. That doesn't really matter to me. Um, it's kind of how the parts and pieces work. And, and the majority of it is going on. What goes on upstairs in that kid's head, man. Um, you can have all the tools in the world, but, if, but if it's not working right up top, you're not going to get to what you need to get to. And I know you mentioned earlier talking about how college kids are more prepared than high school kids, but uh, is there anything else you use to differentiate them? Just maturity, um, maturity. And, and most of the time college guys are, are, they're further along when it comes to like actually playing, understanding situations that it's just, it's a safer bet at the end of the day. You've got data, you've got already, you've got a, you've got history with them. You've got statistics that have built up. Um, It's just a safer, it's a safer route. Uh, no doubt. And what about the kids who go the um, JUCO route as opposed to a D1 right out of high school? <clears throat> uh, we took, you know, we took a little JUCO kid I had this year. Um, the JUCO route is uh, in California, particularly, I, we've seen definitely decline um, in the number of draft picks over the past few years. Um, and there's nothing wrong with the junior college level. It's just not at the same competitive level that it has been. Um, and and to be and in reality, man, big leaguers come from anywhere. They come from junior college, high school, free agent. Um, you know, they're coming from anywhere. Uh, if a kid's got it, he's got it. Uh, does it help if he's at a four-year university? Yeah, you feel a little bit safer. It just boils down to, to you know, um, your comfort level and, and safety. Can you maybe explain why um, most colleges use metal bats when obviously the next level is wood bat? It's just kind of confusing to me. More so, I think it's from a cost standpoint. Um, it's much more cost effective, the aluminum. Um, granite, those bats tend to uh, dent and crack, and um, they're a lot more expensive than the wood bat. Um, preferably, I wish they used the bomb bats, the composites. I think that would be a more, uh, you, you'd get a much, you wouldn't have to test the bats. You're getting a much uh, truer um, exit, uh, truer contact. It's going to play a little more evenly in my mind if they used bomb bats. But I, I truly, I couldn't tell you why. Uh, maybe that's the separator between amateur and professional as, as amateur, you get to swing the, the cheater bat, aluminum bat. And then when you move on to the big boys, you get to swing that lumber. But there are like JUCOs that use uh, wood bats, right? Like if I recall, Bryce Harper went to a school that was in a wood bat league for that purpose. Each state's a little different. Uh, I want to say Nevada has the wood bat. I believe Arizona Junior College is wood bat. I'm not 100%, but I, I think some schools in Florida are wood bat on the JUCO level. Uh, California is all aluminum. Um, they swing aluminum, and that's how they roll. And it's not speaking of California. Obviously, that state is a hotbed for baseball, but I feel like most people would associate 
uh, the hotbed with like Southern California, like your Harvard, Westlakes, UCLA's, USC's of the world. But uh, what makes the Northern California region special and or unique when it comes to scouting amateur baseball? Um, I think the areas uh, from which the players come from, I think uh, the Bay Area, um, just the history of the Bay Area, a lot of Hall of Famers, um, a lot of Hall of Famers from the Bay Area. It's in Northern California. Uh, you go into Sacramento, Sacramento's got a really good high school pool. Uh, that Sac Salakine League's really good. Uh, you move down to the central part of California, you've got the, the Fresno area. And Fresno doesn't necessarily put out a, a ton of um, high draft picks, but we do put out a lot of good college baseball players that go on to be professionals later on. Um, and then, you know, you get along the coast. Uh, you know, obviously the weather is a big part. Um, kids are able to get outside and play all the time. You know, you're driving up and down the freeway, there's there's ballparks all over the place. Um, Baseball is definitely something out here on the West that uh, we're able to do 12 months out of the year. Uh, and the amount of travel ball these kids are playing now, too. I mean, it's just opened up so many doors and opportunities for kids, uh, right or wrong, uh, whether they should be playing 12 months out of the year or, or, or not playing other sports. Uh, there is that opportunity for these kids. So it sounds like you're not a fan of kids who like just specialize in one sport. Not necessarily. Um, I'm looking for, for athletes. Uh, I, I think football brings a little different component to them, a, a side of toughness, um, you know, where they're able to get knocked down literally and get back up and, and go at it. Um, Cause baseball is one of those sports that's going to continually knock you down, man. Just, just the amount of failure that, that's involved, especially from the hitting side. Um, but no, I, I definitely like to see, I mean, it's, I don't, I, I don't get off of a player because he's not a multi-sport athlete, but it definitely, uh, I definitely do have a little bit softer spot in my heart for those, those multi-sport athletes being that I was one as well. Um, and I know how much that those other sports helped me on the baseball diamond. And on that note about those kids being able to play longer due to the weather, does that help in terms of, uh, seeing how they respond to failure. Cause you know, like kids in New England will play like 16 games in the spring and that's their season. Um, failure is something that failure is just part of the game. Um, and, and I don't think necessarily uh, more so getting to know the kids. Uh, you know, I have the opportunity every year. Um, fortunate enough, I get to coach uh, at the area code games. Um, and then I like running scout teams. Um, that I think there's no replacement for that. I, I think if you want to really get to know a kid, you get in the dugout with them. You, uh, you stand elbow to elbow with them and you can look you know, as the game's going on, you're talking to him. You can talk to him about his last at bat. You can talk to him about what plays ahead, maybe what he's going to look forward to. Uh, and then sometimes you just sit in the dugout and you just, you just ear hustle these kids a little bit. You try to listen to what they're talking about. Who's actually talking about baseball and who's talking about something that doesn't matter. Um, so I think there's, you know, being in the dugout's a big, 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 big component uh, that helps my scouting. Um, and out here in California, I mean, geez, you can get in any, get on any field anytime, most of the time, you know. And we're just focused more specific, specifically on the draft now. Um, I was hoping we go over some of the recent picks you've played a role in selecting. If that makes sense. Um, so if we do this chronologically. Yeah. We can start with a uh, 2019, 25th round pick, uh, Carson Seamus. Seamus, yeah. So yeah, Carson. Little, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Uh, no, you're fine. What's what, what's your question? What do you uh, no, I was gonna say uh, for the listeners who might not be too familiar with him, uh, could you give like a quick scouting report? Uh, Carson was uh, Carson's the son of Billy Seamus, who was a closer for the Chicago White Sox for a few years. Um, 
just a slender, he was a slender bodied slick fielding shortstop uh, that I thought had some projection left. And I thought felt like, you know, he was going to get to, to, to an average, average capability with the bat, just going to be lighter on the power. Um, maybe not an everyday type profile, but <clears throat> would profile as a solid utility type player. Um, maybe like a J bell, you know, he kind of had a J bell build from back in the day, the pirates. Uh, I feel like he's going to, you know, fill out into his frame. Uh, he ran well. Um, and his, his gloves always been, you know, he was just a really smooth defender. Uh, and then growing up in the clubhouse with daddy and, and being around the ballpark, like his mind worked a little bit different. The game came to him a little bit easier. Um, and just, I really enjoyed watching him play. I, I felt like he had a lot of upside um, and that we would be able to get him. Um, maybe not at that premium, you know, price that, that most of the higher profile prospects uh, tend to go for every year. Um, Carson was kind of a guy that was under the radar, uh, was hurt. Uh, not very many scouts knew about him other than, you know, a handful of guys. And um, I'd been working him out in the summers. He'd come and hit with me a couple of times and we'd take ground balls uh, with some of the other guys. And um, I, it just, his development kept progressing in the right direction. And um, I knew he didn't want to go to college, uh, which was also another uh, factor that, that helped out in being able to sign him where we did. But <clears throat> He just, I just felt like he had a lot of projection left and, you know, he was lacking some strength. And, and once that strength would come on, uh, he, his body would, would turn into the type of player I, I kind of envisioned. And given his dad was a late bloomer too, you know, his dad didn't really start pop until his second year of junior college, which would be, was that 1920? Um, so Carson just, I don't know, I just really liked the way his body moved and, and the ease at what he did stuff. And, you know, I felt like those projection left and, you know, he's gone out and, He's been given an opportunity. He's done well thus far. Uh, just hopefully he can just keep plugging along, keep grinding, and uh, keep, you know, making the most of the abats that he gets. So are you, like, closely paying attention to how these guys do and, like, the Florida Complex League or whatever affiliate they're assigned to? Yeah, I feel like I'm a stalker. Uh, I'm checking everybody's stats every night. I'm following games. Like, that's something – you know, early on in my, when I scouted, I didn't have a whole lot of guys in this system. And, and the few that I had were pitchers that were relievers. So it was really hard to gauge on when they were going to throw and uh, having a couple position players makes it pretty awesome. Now. I mean, about, you know, about, about four o'clock my time, I'm, I'm pulling up my minor league baseball app and just checking on the boys and, and see how they did today or see how their games are going. So it's been a lot more fun these past couple of years having some players in the system. So that, I mean, last year, of course, Sox selected Nick York, number 17 overall. He was just promoted to um, Greenville the other day, so I imagine you've been paying pretty close attention to him. Yeah, I stay in touch. You know, Nick and I, uh, we have a pretty good relationship um, that started, you know, well before his senior year, and uh, I'm most definitely following his progression. Um, he's a fun one to follow. Uh, I think he's got huge upside. Um, his offensive capabilities are through the ceiling, um, and, and he's only getting started. Uh, just he's been a really, really fun kid to get to know and, and, and uh, be a part of uh, where he's headed. So it's kind of gratifying now because he's like blossomed this year to like, cause like there were a bunch of uh, critics last year, pretty much criticizing the pick saying like, Oh, he was, he wasn't projected to be a first round pick, but Red Sox left them where they did. And that looks like he might be one of the more promising infield prospects in baseball. Yeah, that's just, that's just who Nick is. Um, he uses that kind of stuff as some motivation, um, maybe not being considered uh, the type of prospect that he knows in his mind he is. Uh, 
but hey, uh, the critics can be critics. It's fine. Um, you know, uh, I felt really bad for, you know, I didn't not necessarily, I just thought that uh, the way some people approached it was, was, wasn't very professional on their part. Uh, you know, it's the most special day, this kid's life. And there's people, you know, not really, I don't know. It's the, the, the presentation of for Nick, uh, on that special day, I don't think they handled it the correct way, uh, on the MLB network and, and some of the, the way that they were, I'm, I'm holding on to some of those projected, uh, some of their uh, projected grades on them. And, and hopefully in a few years, I'm going to get to flash those to that, to the experts and uh, we'll see how close they are to that. But um, it's tough. I mean, you're not going to make everybody happy and then there's going to be people that disagree and, and that's just the way it is. Um, they, nobody really got to scout Nick. So nobody really got to know Nick, the kind of the way I knew Nick and the way we knew Nick. So um, they can be critics. Uh, it'll all come out in the wash later. And was there any like swaying him to not sign with Arizona or was that pretty simple once like uh, you knew what his intentions were? No, I knew Nick wanted to sign. I knew deep down he wanted to sign. I knew he wanted to be a first rounder. Um, that's, that's what he wanted. Um, and he felt like that. He, and, and in his mind, he knows he's a, he, he's the best hitter in that class. Uh, in my opinion, um, that summer was, was one of those summers where I got to spend it around the top guys. And I remember, um, I remember T-Bone asking me at PDP who my favorite hitter was. And I said, my favorite hitter's not here. And he looked at me funny, said, who's that? I said, Nick York. And he just, you know, and, and from that point on it, I, I think that stuck with him maybe a little bit. And then we got into the fall, we got into area codes and uh, then T-Bone got to be around him and, and, and work him out. And it's like, I mean, I don't know, once you get around the kid and you watch him work and, and, and you spend some time with him, you really get to see what, what, how special he capabilities he has uh just his makeups through the roof his work ethics through the roof uh super advanced hitting wise when you talk to him you feel like you're talking to a salty veteran about hitting i mean he's just so much further along than, than the other guys that he was around and that draft class had some really really good hitters in it you know the hassles the beans the soderstroms um and and honestly there's he's still the best hitter in my mind um and and he's the best hitter in that class in my opinion so that's that's where we're at. And uh, were you surprised that you got an invite to big league camp this spring or did you play a role in that? I was, uh, I don't think I played a role in it. Um, you know, people ask and you just give your opinion on whether or not you think you'd be, be able to handle it. And there was no doubt in my mind. Uh, there was no doubt in my mind he'd handle himself in a professional manner when we got him to the, uh, uh, to the, alternate site um i really was i was hoping i was really really hoping that they would they were going to do that and they eventually did it was great uh just rather than him sitting around get him around those guys and kind of jump started jump start his career that way and then him getting invited to big league camp i honestly i wasn't surprised um he, he's a big leaguer like he's just he's just stuck in the minor leagues right now that dude's a big leaguer uh and when he gets there he, he's definitely going to have some presence and when guys are promoted from from one level to more advanced level, I think teams expect like some sort of failure. But I mean, York, he hasn't really uh, stepped back since the promotion at Greenville. So uh, what have you made of that again? No, that, that's just a testament to his work ethic and, and his ability. Um, he's going to go through. He it, it, All hitters go through it. He went through it early in the year, and I'm glad he did. Um, and that just shows what kind of character and, and, and work process he has and, and how mentally tough he is. Um, you know, that was a tough little first month of May for him. But once he's able to make his adjustments and get his swing the way he wants, his approach is dialed in. 
you know, I, I refer to him as King Kong in the batter's box. I mean, that's, you know, when he gets in the box, he's kind of dictate things. And, and he hits sometimes what pitchers don't necessarily want him to hit, and he hits it really hard. Uh, you know, his hitting coach kept telling me he's the best bad ball hitter you're going to see, Lab. He's the best bad ball hitter you're going to see. And um, he's right. I mean, the dude can flat out hit. And defensively, I've read some stuff saying like there's some questions about if he'll be able to stick at second base. But uh, what would you see as his primary defensive position moving forward? I think he'll stick at second base. Um, you know, the, his instincts aren't just in the batter's box. Uh, he's a baseball player all the way around uh, from from the way, from the time he laces his shoes up until the time that game's over. He's a ball player. Uh, that kid's thinking the game was a high school shortstop, and you watch them and. You could tell maybe defensively he didn't have like the right type of uh, tools per se to play shortstop, but you slide him over to second. His hands are very efficient. He sees, he sees plays happening. He anticipates and the kid, he just finds ways to make plays, man. He's that guy you look up and you're like, How, why is he there? How'd he get there? Why would he be there? It's, but it's just the way his mind works. Uh, he's so much further advanced than, than the other guys. I just think he sees the game at a different level that provides him to put himself in the right place at the right time. Um, and then, you know, all the defensive stuff, that's one thing in, in pro ball, I feel like that's going to get oh, so much better, just given the amount of repetitions and, and work that you put in. And we've got an awesome infield coordinator, a guy I played with Andy Fox, who does a great job with all of our infielders. And there's no doubt in my mind that that kid's going to be playing second base at the big league level. Um, you look around the league, second base is one of those positions now that's kind of changed a little bit given the shift. And, you know, we got guys like Max Muncy playing second. If Max Muncy can play second base in the big leagues, Nick York can play second base in the big leagues. So, you know, uh, it all boils down to the bat. Sounds kind of like Dustin Pedroia when you're talking about the shift from shortstop to second base. I don't know if that's like a, I don't, a comp thrown out there, but just remind me of that for a second. No, I played against Petey. Um, and, hey, dude. Nick, if there's a guy that I could say could be our next Pejoria, it's, it's Nick York. Um, and, his, and, and it's more so not, you know, the tool sets there, but upstairs, man, upstairs, his mentality and philosophy are, are so much like PD's, man. Just, just hard-nosed, grinder, tough. Um, just he's a fun player, man. I think people are going to – and people really don't know him yet. You know, he still hasn't hit like the big mainstream, but he's going to be a fun one to continue to follow and, and watch his progression throughout the minor leagues. And uh, turning to this summer's draft now, I know you mentioned him earlier, but uh, what made B.J. Vela stand out to you? Um, B.J. reminded me a lot of myself. Um, undersized, compact body, uh, had surprising had surprising pop for his size and, and good speed. Uh, I think he had enough athleticism to have some versatility where we'll be able to utilize him at a couple different positions on the field. Um, but I just felt like, you know, his contact skills were good. He was able to manage at bats. Granted, it was a junior college level, but he always seemed to be in control of his at bats. And the contact he made was hard. It was dense. And he had, you know, pretty significant power playing at the ballpark he played at. Um, but what impresses me about some of the hitters that, that I tend to go after is their ability to, to drive the ball to the opposite part, part of the, the diamond. I, I think that's really big uh, for a young hitter. And being able to do that at a young age, it's only going to continue to carry over. Uh, with the more maturity and, and at bats you, you you get under your belt, um, but I just felt like he had some upside. He reminded me a little bit of Luis Urias with the uh, Brewers. Uh, came up with the Padres was one of the first kids I wrote up on the pro side. But just an interesting little combination. I think he has a little bit of a uh, little bit of hit, a little bit of power, and, and the speed along with the versatility can provide some uh, 
some depth to a to a lineup. And uh, on your Wikipedia page, it says you're an assistant coach at the same school Velo went to at Reedley College. Uh, is that true? Oh, that was. <clears throat> I, I'm not a coach. I've been scouting. Uh, I did start out. I coached at Reedley College for three years prior to taking on a position with the Red Sox. But yeah, I did coach at Reedley for a couple of years, most definitely. With my, with my old college coach. But not at the same time like Villa was playing there. So that no. 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 Did you ever meet Josh Allen by chance? Josh Allen. Uh, Josh Allen is a member at the same country club that I'm a member at. So I've played. A, I haven't played with Josh, but we put it on the same putting green. So. <laughs> Massive, massive human being, uh, massive mammal that guy is, a uh, really good athlete. And uh, in regards to scouting both Vela and York, uh, how did the pandemic kind of like shift the way you go about your business there? <clears throat> the pandemic, I'll be honest, the pandemic really worked in our favor in getting York. Um, I, I, I can't stress that enough. I, I, and that just goes back to the early work that we did on him early prior to the pandemic. Uh, you know, I, I, I liked Nick from the moment I saw him for the day I met him at area code tryouts. Uh, I, I ended up, I, I met his brother first and it, we kind of go back. Like I, I know their mom from college, their mom played softball prior to my wife arriving at Fresno state was one of my wife's uh, chaperones on her recruiting trip. And I didn't even know she had three boys until I was in the dugout and Joey, which is Nick's older brother, noticed the shorts I had on, which were bulldog shorts. And he's like, Oh, bulldog shorts. You know, my mom went to Fresno state and I kind of looked at him like, well, who's your mother? And he said, Robin York. And I, what, you know, I, I didn't put two and two together. And he said, yeah, you know, me and my brother here, Nick's Nick's going to hit next group. So I went up around the cage and he took about four or five slings. And I just, I put a big circle around his name. Um, I just liked the way it worked, the simplicity, the bat speed, uh, his ability to drive the ball the other way. And then then I got to know him and start talking to him. And I, and, and I spent a whole week with him in the dugout for underclass games. And he was on the top rail the whole time. I mean, he watched every pitch, every ground ball, every swing. He didn't miss it. Um, and there was just, there was one at bat in particular that stood out to me. He got beat by elevated fastball and we got back to the dugout and I was just kind of giving him a hard time. Like I, I just tell him, Hey, that guy maybe just throws too hard for you. And you know, he got, he got a little pissed. He's like, I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you. Next to bat, guy threw elevated fastball. He smoked one up the middle, and he's just looking at me from first base, shaking his head. And it was like, okay, dude, this kid, this kid's got a little shit in his neck. He's he's tough, um, and I liked it. He responded to kind of the challenge, and um, you know, he's one of the few kids that I went and scouted as a junior. Um, I went to a couple of his games as a junior just to kind of see where he is at, just to kind of lay the foundation on on how I wanted to go after this dude. And um, the pandemic just played into that. Um, he wasn't as scouted as hard. And, and I truly feel by the end of the year, there's, there's two or three kids up in my area that would have gone in the first round. It would have been a really, really good year for Northern California had the pandemic not struck. Um, but I still feel like we got the best one of the bunch. We, we really did. Um, and given the pandemic, it was really tough to get out and see those guys. Um, so we had to base a lot of what we did from, from our fall and summer coverage. Um, and then BJ was BJ wasn't as tough, um, given that the, the school was a little bit more open. I could get out there and, and watch him. Um, there were restrictions and everything, uh, and their season was a little more condensed. But it was still giving me enough time to to get in there and see him. And we took him late enough to where, <clears throat> you know, just took a runner on him. We'll see what happens, and and liked what we saw. And uh, but the pandemic wasn't too tough last year. 
definitely in 2020 was, was a, was a whole different hurdle than 2021. And you missed the fact that the draft used to be 40 rounds has now been condensed, condensed to uh, 20. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I always liked having a lot of rounds because that's one thing you just don't know. Um, you know, guys can get to the big leagues. They just need, you know, they, they need a set of spikes in the uniform and anything can happen. Um, you know, I, I remember being in AAA and a kid named Daniel Baroni came up to do a spot start for us um, in Albuquerque. Uh, well, that spot start turned into a, a one hit shutout. Uh, so we kept him another week, another start. And that, that next start, he, he went to a two hit shutout. And then the next start, he had a no hitter till two, two outs in the ninth. I mean, the guy had three starts, four hits, no runs. He went to the big leagues and, and that guy originally just came up to be a spot starter. So you just don't know uh, when you get out there, what, what course it's going to take. So the more rounds, the more opportunities. Um, but given the, the, the format that, our new commissioners laid out and taking some of these teams away. Um, it's, you know, condensing the draft is definitely going to shave the numbers, uh, but it's also taken some jobs away, which is unfortunate. Did the timing of this year's draft make a, uh, make for a hectic schedule for you, given like, I think I was reading a lot of guys were like trying to scout two drafts at the same time, basically. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was hard early on in June going to the Cape and still trying to focus on, on some kids that, you know, we might be making moves on and, and keeping tabs on them and where they're playing and how their seasons are going and then uh, still trying to coordinate possible looks. So this year was definitely a, a little bit different than, than my first uh, five, six years scouting uh, around draft time. So a lot more busy work, a lot more running around. Um, but, you know, it all worked out. So that's the thing about baseball, man. You, you have to make adjustments. And, and that's not just from a player standpoint. It, it's from an overall standpoint. Like the game's going to throw different hurdles at you uh, on a daily basis. And you just got to be ready for them and be prepared to, to make that adjustment. Um, and the guys that make adjustments quicker, and those are the guys that tend to play longer. Um, so you just got to make adjustments, man. Um, and you know, that's the one beautiful thing about baseball. Like I said, man, nothing is laid out. Uh, things can change pitch to pitch. Uh, the weather can change things, you know, change in different directions. You might be going one way one day and all of a sudden it's raining. You got to change gears. So uh, just making adjustments, man, that's, that's kind of what it's all about. All right, and uh, last question for me might be one you have to think about, but uh would you take more pride in scouting and signing a first rounder who turns out to be a perennial all-star type of player as they were projected to be maybe like a late round pick who becomes like a serviceable utility guy at the major league level once they reach the majors? That's a tough call. Um, we all want to sign all-stars and perennial all-stars, uh, but I think probably the most satisfying, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't answer that question. I guess I don't have a big leaguer yet, um, but you know, I, I think that later round pick is is probably going to be a little more special, uh, given that maybe not everybody in your organization saw him. Um, you know, the top round guys, they get a lot of looks, um, you know, but that guy that gets that you pick a little bit later, the Carson Seamus, the BJ Velas, uh, if those guys are, are fortunate enough to, to, to make it, those are those are a little bit more special. I, I think um, that first rounder, he's kind of the slam dunk guy, I guess you would say. But that later round guy, uh, very satisfying. Um, just sometimes if these guys are able to get up and, and even get to AAA, 
those later round guys are, are really solid picks if they're able to provide some organizational value. But uh, for them to get to the big leagues, it, it definitely would be very satisfying. And what about when those guys are using like a trade to get like a big uh, piece at the trade deadline or whatever? Anytime, anytime a guy gets used, uh, especially if it's if it's a big time trade where you're getting a big leaguer in return, that guy's that that was an exceptional pick. Uh, if you can trade a minor leaguer and get a big leaguer in return, so um, that's that's essentially what these picks are about. I mean, it's just you know not necessarily maybe getting a guy to the big leagues, but providing enough value to your organization that you can go out and, and get big leaguers uh, to help your big club. So. Um, just having as many studs as we can in our system and, and having a strong, strong minor league system will help our big league club uh, on the field and, and acquiring, uh, acquiring more players. So um, hopefully we just keep getting some studs and, and, and keep making runs at that AL East. All right. Well, Josh Lebendera, thank you very much for your time today. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug like social accounts, anything like that? No, man. Like I pretty, pretty straight up, uh, Although I do love me some hum now here. So uh, if you, you have a chance to find me some hum now apparel, find some, get yourself some hum now apparel. All right. Well, thank you again. Brandon, thank you.